Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours episode 18. Rob here. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as crookedtable.com. If you can give us a rating or review on any of those podcatchers, we'd really appreciate it. It helps get the word out about the show. We've had a lot of cool guests coming on, a lot more planned for 2022. So stick around for uh, all the fun stuff we have planned. As, uh, in addition to the announcement of our next mini series officially at the end of this episode. So on this particular episode, uh, David Snyder, who uh, was on our sister show, Close Watch with Robert Yanis Jr., we talked about Do the Right Thing over there, as we'll briefly mention during this conversation. He comes on here to talk about 2015's Mad Max Fury Road, the film that came three decades after its predecessor, and again, for at least the second, maybe third, maybe fourth, depending on your opinion, time in his career, George Miller comes along and reinvents action for a whole new generation. And we'll get into uh, exactly how he accomplishes that, or at least geek out about how he accomplishes that in this film. But uh, that's that's enough of the, the prelude. Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about Mad Max Fury Road. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. Reduced to a single instinct. Survive. It is by my hand. You arise from the ashes of this world. I want them back! They're my property! Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. We are, of course, wrapping up our trip through the wasteland that is, well, that sounds like I'm, I'm critiquing the, the series. So <laughs> through the desert of uh, the Mad Max franchise, that doesn't sound too good either. Damn. So we're wrapping, we're wrapping up the Mad Max mega series with a look at 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, David Snyder. Welcome to Franchise Detours. Well, thank you, Robert. I, I appreciate the invite and I'm happy to be here. So tell people who didn't hear our conversation about Do the Right Thing on our sister show, Close Watch, tell them who you are and what you have going. Well, my name's David C. Snyder, and I'm a filmmaker, and I'm also a musician, a, a music producer. I run a record label for Chuck D. of Public Enemy. 
It's the Spit Slam Record Label Group. I also have a, I, I work with another record label called Slam with my partner, Chris Nab, and we're just getting that off the ground where we're just doing vinyl only on that record label. So that's kind of exciting stuff. And, and right now, I am in the process, among many things, editing a, a new film that my company, HWIC Filmworks, just produced over the last couple of months. And we actually have one day of shooting left where we have to kind of wrap things up and get a, get a couple more scenes in the can. But it's called Scam Likely. So that's where I'm at right now. Wow, awesome. Yeah, you always have a lot going on. I remember last time we talked about to do the right thing. And I was like, wow, David's got a lot of uh, irons in the fire. Very impressed to, to always see, to hear when uh, creative people have so many different projects or, or things that they're working on in the works. So when that is released, where will, where will people be able to see that? I think we'll probably put it up on Amazon Prime as well. But 2B TV has, we have, I think most of our other films there, or a couple of our other films there, and it's doing very well for us as far as streaming platforms go. So that's uh, it's kind of a no-brainer just to go back, keep going back there. Absolutely. No, now that you mentioned that, I remember last time we talked, you, we did talk about Tubi. And I remember telling you that it's really, it's really kind of underrated as a streaming yeah. service. Nobody yeah. talks about it because it's free. And so they're like, uh, I don't know. Is Tubi really worth it? I'm like, first of all, it's free. So yeah, it's worth right. it. <laughs> Secondly, you'd be surprised the amount of of new and classic films that they have on there that, you know, maybe the licensing is, is just up for grabs and they jump on it or whatever yeah. the case may be. But yeah, definitely. I, I would highly recommend people add Tubi to their, their streaming service rotation with all yeah. the, you know, with all the other ones that they have. It's, it's definitely, it's a good resource. And I think people need to, to tap into that a little bit more for sure. Yeah, exactly. It, it's like watching, you know, it has commercials. So it's like watching right. television back in the day, but you know, you get to see the entire film. They're not edited for content or anything. So, and a lot of times it, it, they have selections that aren't on your Netflixes or your HBO Maxes or your Hulus or whatever, what have you now. You know, I've, exactly. I've, there's been a few times where I'm trying to track down a movie for, for either this podcast or just, you know, for, for my own, my own leisure. And, I, where is it streaming? Nowhere but Tubi. So, yeah, there was, so, yeah. A, there was, there was something and it, it escapes me at the moment, but there was something I went looking for the other day and that's where it was. It was on Tubi. Yeah. I was like, well, I'll be damned. There you go. Yeah, exactly. This episode of the Cricket of, of Franchise Detour is brought to you by Tubi, I guess. Sure. <laughs> they want to sponsor, reach out to me, Robert at CricketTable.com. But yes. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We'll we'll take it, Tubi. But so this this episode, we're here to talk Mad Max Fury Road from 2015, directed by George Miller. So before we get into this particular installment, what is your what was your initial exposure to the Mad Max films, and uh, and you know what was your reaction when you first saw whichever whichever film was your your you know introduction? My introduction to the Mad Max films was The Road Warrior, aka Mad Max Two, back in I I it had to have been. 84, I think. And I'm pretty sure it was on HBO because we had, we had moved, we had moved from Ohio to Pennsylvania. And when we moved my folks, that was the first time we got cable. And so, you know, it was one of those little push button cable boxes. I don't know if, you know, older, older folks will remember those. And, uh, you know, I think we had like 13 cable channels or something crazy like that, but we had, we had HBO and Cinemax. And so 
my brothers and I caught up on a lot of stuff. And so I saw the road warrior and I was really kind of, you know, I liked it, but I was kind of freaked out by it because it was pretty intense mm -hmm. and, and, and not like any of, of the other films I had seen up, up to that point in my life. I guess the closest, the closest thing I could have compared it to was maybe Conan the barbarian, you know, just because of the, you know, desert wastelands, you know, collapse of society. Sure. That kind of thing. But then I saw then on HBO, of course, then they started playing Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. And for whatever reason, we watched that one a lot. I haven't seen that film in a long, long time. It's it's been 30 some years since I've seen Thunderdome. But that was that was the one that I saw the most, I would say, just because it would come on HBO and we'd sit there and watch it. But um, yeah, then I finally went back, saw the original. And of course, when Fury Road opened at the theaters, you know, I think I went opening day, I think, if I recall. It's this franchise is is really interesting in how it's how it, it grew in popularity, because as people have heard us uh, discuss by now, they the first one was not I don't even think it was released in the US at all. And then. The second one was marketed as it's a, a sequel that had to pretend to not be a sequel. Right. So a lot of people like yourself were just like the road warrior. What the hell is that? Let's right. check this movie out. No idea that there was a first one. And then by the time you get to be on Thunderdome, it's gone more mainstream and they have Tina Turner and all of that stuff. Uh, but it's funny too, because we just did the evil dead movies, which had a similar sort of first one is, is made very small, very low budget, very esoteric second one kind of explodes and goes mainstream to a certain extent. And then the third one, a lot of times, uh, a lot of people that I talked to for the evil dead movies, army of darkness, they saw first. And then we're like, Oh, this, this, because of the title change, but again, right. because of the same kind of right. thing, they didn't want to market that as, as uh, evil dead three or the medieval right. dead, which I think was a, a title that was bandied about right. because maybe, you know, they didn't want to limit themselves to that audience. And so here you have a similar situation where the road warrior is released over here in the in the u.s and and it kind of takes the franchise from there and to, to your point uh, about not seeing thunderdome for 30 years there was no traction with this franchise like it was it was dead for decades yeah. and yeah. every once in a while you would hear oh george miller wants to wants to resurrect the mad max franchise but mel gibson pretty much Two years after Thunderdome was on Lethal Weapon and and right. you know, one of the Hollywood's biggest leading men in the 80s and 90s and beyond. And and yeah, so so what were your thoughts when you know 30-year gap between Thunderdome to Fury Road, hearing that, oh, by the way, it's really coming back. I remember that trailer coming out and every blowing everybody's minds because no one knew what to expect. What was yeah. kind of your reaction that, oh, by the way, those movies you saw as a kid were making another one? Yeah, well, I had heard about it for, you know, just trying to catch up and on movie news on the internet and so on and so forth. And and I knew that because George was trying to make the film for a while, right? Is, it, is yeah, that right? Um, absolutely. I think there was talk of even bringing Mel Gibson as, yes. as late as the early 2000s. And then he just kind of, I think... You know, the timing never worked out. And then he was directing, you know, The Passion of the Christ and Apocalypto and stuff. And so he was just pursuing his own filmmaking, I think, at that point. 
Right. And uh, so, and, and then I, I think what happened was they, they sort of had it ready to go, but then the location didn't work out. They didn't, they couldn't get the, the wasteland look that they wanted to. And it was just one of those freak occurrences. So for a minute there, I, it was seemed like it was going to be, you know, like Terry Gilliam's man who killed Don Quixote. And it was just not going to happen. Ironically, both of those films ended up happening, but you know, then the trailer came out and it was like, first off, it was, holy hell, they actually made this. And yeah. then you saw it and it was like, wait, what is this? Because this is not what I thought it was going to be. I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but it was, it was just that, that first trailer was, I mean, the film itself, it's just mind blowing and it's really hard to, to wrap your head around. Um, because every time I watch it as a filmmaker, I'm just like, how did they do this? How right. did they actually do this? You know, make this film. It's it's that kind of insane and and crazy. And it's not like George Miller ever stopped making movies. He did the Babe movies. He did the Happy Feet movies. He was in like right. family family film zone for a while. And I think always intended to go back to this, but... Like you said, it was an issue of timing or getting the production like set up properly. And and I think a lot of people really doubted that that far after 30 years after Thunderdome that he could come back to this genre, to this franchise and make it work. And uh, yeah, that, that trailer is it was starting to feel like one of those one of those haunted productions like the ones you mentioned but also like Ghostbusters 3 which we kind of just got you know a some version of Ghostbusters 3 a Harold Ramis you know after he passed away and all that but still they made that work given the context and and in here you know we don't have Mel Gibson back I feel like there was as I was watching this and this I saw this in theaters as well and it, it, it I I I feel like I've been in the minority because I really respect this movie, but it's it was hard for me initially to to engage with the movie. And I think the reason is because it is so different from so many other films. It, it's a totally different style of filmmaking, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, uh, totally. I, I believe they didn't... I'm not sure that they actually had a written script I think it was just storyboards. Right. I, now I'm, I'm not totally sure about that, but that in and of itself is saying that we're going to tell most, this, this film is going to be told visually more than anything. Yes, exactly. And, and that is a whole other, you know, it's a whole other beast as, as in terms of narrative filmmaking is conveying a, a, a film purely visual, visually like that. Right. I think Tom Hardy has something like 50 something lines in this movie. And there are <laughs> yeah. long stretches where it's mostly silent or a lot of like grunts and screams. And obviously Junkie XL score really propels right. this thing forward. It's really George Miller's direction and the, uh, the cinematography here by John Seal and the editing by Margaret Sixel, who's George Miller's wife, who had never done action before and suddenly wow. jumped on this, won an Oscar for best editing. Yeah. And uh, and Junkie XL, like it's those those people put together a film that doesn't feel like any other movie that you've ever seen. It doesn't even it it has a lot of the earmarks of a Mad Max movie, but dialed up to like not even eleven to twelve or thirteen or something. Yeah, <laughs> dialed up to a hundred, man. It's, yeah, <laughs> you know what? It's one of the 
and I, you know, I could be totally wrong about this, but uh, it's one of the only films that I can remember seeing where the the colorist got his own title card. It like he's not he's not listed in the scrolling credits. He has a title card, right? And and that that should say something about the the visual style of the film because the color grading on this movie is just so intense. You know, it, it it's and it's an very integral part of the part of the picture. It's, and I'm also curious because uh, I haven't seen it yet that they they did the black and chrome version where where it's you know black and white. And so right. I'm very curious to see how that affects the the way that the film looks. But I haven't I haven't seen that version yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I've I for for you know this mega series that I'm doing on this on this uh, franchise. I got the box set. I saw it a couple times on Amazon where it's gone down in price and then and then shot back up. And I was like, damn it, I should have gotten it when I had the chance. <laughs> so I went and got it this time when I saw the, the, the when I saw it was uh, on sale and it has the black and chrome edition included. So I'm sure oh, after nice. this conversation, I'll be like, all right, well, now I need to cue that up. But yeah, so they had so much. This is the, first of all, the color, which we'll get more into. Absolutely. But watching it this time, there were certain things that, that put in my, like, it feels like a miracle of a movie that it exists. And here's why. Oh, yeah. There's so many potential stumbling blocks here. Obviously, this 30 years later, so there's no Mel Gibson and you have Tom Hardy in this role. That's one thing. So the other thing is, is it a reboot? Is it a sequel? George Miller seems like he's trying to split the difference. Where where do you land on this? Do you do you consider this a continuation from Thunderdome, or are you like, nope, this is kind of its own spin, like in the way that we get, you know, a new James Bond every ten or fifteen years? Well, the thing about the Mad Max films, if I remember correctly, the most I I showed my son, my ten year old son, this film, mm-hmm. and then I also showed him The Road Warrior. We haven't gotten to the other two yet. So, but the thing I do remember is the there is some continuity with between those films, but it's also kind of a loose continuity. Right. Um, I don't think it's very strict. So, you know, at the beginning of Fury Road, Max, now played by Tom Hardy, has the long kind of gray hair that he sort of had at one point in Thunderdome. And then it gets all shaved off. But, and he still has the Interceptor. But then the interceptors trash like two minutes into the film. <laughs> so that in itself tells you that like this is not going to be you know the Mad Max that you remember. This is we're right. we're gonna go we're gonna go balls to the wall in another direction. Um, so I, so I'm not sure how how tight the continuity is. Yeah, I think you're right in saying that he's kind of splitting the difference. It's one of those film series that exists in this world, but I'm not sure where where this chapter takes place compared to the other ones i'm i'm guessing it takes place after but it's also kind of a thing where yeah okay well yeah that stuff happened and maybe it happened to this guy maybe it didn't happen to this guy right yeah i think it's it's again kind of like the evil dead franchise in that you can pick up army of darkness as many people did and not even know there were two previous ones. And he's like, yeah, this happened to me. And now I'm here. Right. Start right. movie. And, and this movie has a sort of, sort of a similar vibe. You know, you get, it opens on black. Max has the narration talking about the, everybody was fighting over oil. And then they were fighting over water and resources got really scarce, et cetera, et cetera. 
So if, if you want to place it with the other movies, sure. If not here, we're picking up from this point on, I think. Yeah. And I think that's that's an interesting way to sort of play it. The uh, Robert Rodriguez's El Mariachi movies do a similar kind of deal. They do. With, they do do that. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that style of he's just wandering from adventure to adventure. So those are the those are the main things that I noticed, first of all, is that it, the big jump in time, is it a reboot or sequel, new leading man? And then thirdly, this is called Mad Max. I would question whether Mad Max is really the protagonist of this movie. Would you consider this more of a Furiosa movie? Because she has more of the arc. She's more prominently featured in the poster. And uh, if so, is that even a problem? It's interesting. And I thought about that watching it, you know, in preparation for doing this episode of your your podcast. Um, and I, Max to me is, he's the audience surrogate because we, when we're pretty much with him most of the time. Right. So yeah, Furiosa is the, she's kind of the lead, you know, but we're still kind of seeing it all from Max's perspective. You know, I, I think, I mean, that's how I kind of saw it watching it recently so it's still it still feel feels like a mad max movie and max is very involved in everything right but i but i i think it's also great that this this go around that he he has somebody a strong character to, to bounce these things off of unlike you know the the sky pilot in the last ones in the in the other films you know she's right there and she's just as prominent in the bulk of it and it's great too that they start off not knowing that they're going to end up working together and mm-hmm. the the way that relationship quickly builds as the tension builds and as the as these circumstances get even more dire so that they're thrown together like that and the way that they end up working working together those are those are really great moments this part some of my favorite stuff in the film where the they kind of like begrudgingly have to trust each other, but then they're like, okay, well, it, you know, we, we really got to do this together. We're, we're in it now. So yeah, there, there's a quiet respect that, that evolves over the course of the movie between the two of them. Cause yes. obviously they, they, they have a whole fight sequence where I believe he's still chained to Nux at, at, for, for a, a significant portion of that, that uh, sequence. And then later on you get those, those, cool moments with I think the one specific one that always comes to mind is her with the with the rifle leaning on his shoulder yeah and he's just like letting it happen he's like all right go for it if I can help I'll you know that's what I'm here for and that he is sort of inspired kind of back into action because it starts out with him being really haunted by you know everything he's lived through obviously if we whether whether this happens in continuity with the road warrior or uh, beyond Thunderdome both it references that his family was he lost his family he lost everyone he's ever loved blah blah, blah as we see as we see you know Ill- illustrated in the original film so it, it does he's gets just developed a very selfish kind of mode of survival that's how he's making it through the wasteland and yes. the fact that he is he becomes interested enough in furiosa and and the uh, the wives i guess their plight to actively become a participant it's his idea to go back to the citadel right. and all of that, that he is so instrumental in helping Furiosa, you know, take down a Morton Joe. And ultimately she is the one that takes him down, but he is, like you said, he is, 
it's not like he's just not like he's just passing through. Right. He, he he is passing through, but he's he's not he's actively involved in in the mission at varying points. And I think it, it works both ways. I can see why I can see why both why we would still consider this a Mad Max movie, but I can also see why George Miller would be like, all right, the next one is a Furiosa prequel. Forget Max. Let's let's do it. Let's do a Furiosa movie, which I'm still a little annoyed. It's apparently, you know, it's not going to be Charlize Theron. It's going to be Anya Taylor-Joy and all of that. Yeah. Uh, after this film, I trust George, but, you know, just on paper, it's kind of like, ah, I don't know, man. You know, is this, do we really need this movie? Because Charlize not only gave one of the greatest performances uh, of her career, I think, and just the sheer torture and hell she went through making the film everybody they all went through making the film but you know her story's kind of there already it's all it's all pretty much laid out so but you know george has something in his head and you know that last time he had something in his head we got this so i'm not mad at that um, yeah exactly and and i i think also that uh, i thought of this the other night too is that i think there was a mad max adventure there may have been one in between the Thunderdome and this one where Max didn't win the day. And that's kind of what it feels like. And and maybe those are the ghosts that he's haunted by. You know, I, I had that idea the other night. You know, it's just purely speculation on my part. But I was like, who are all these people that he failed? You know, and, and maybe something really bad happened, you know, after Thunderdome, Thunderdome that, you know, we're not privy to. Yeah, I think I think there is some kind of comic book or something that's technically in canon that fleshes that out. They've done oh, some there... like some expanded universe stuff, I think, to sort of clear out some of those things. Okay, interesting. I didn't know about that. Okay. Yeah, because we do get flashes at like some little girl. Why didn't you help us and all that stuff? And so it's unclear. It, it, the movie just plays it again. Just he's been through stuff. He's on, he's living on his own. He has no interest in getting involved in anything until, until this situation. Then he's like, all right, I guess I'll help. But then I'm off on my own again, uh, which is where we ultimately end up. But yeah, it does. He does. George Miller just start this off and be like, get rid of the car. He loses his jacket at some point. That's apparently a replica of the one that Mad that uh, Mel Gibson wore. Right. In the other, in the other films. <laughs> so there's that. It does, it's very much stripping him of whatever he was going through, whatever he had going on and kind of starting fresh. I think George Miller's called this sort of a, a revisiting. And I think that that is a pretty accurate way of, of addressing it. Whether it's with those other films or not, we're re-entering this world in a little bit of a clean slate. That's a, yeah, that's a great way to put it. A revisiting. That makes a lot of sense to kind of frame it like that. Because again, like you said, there's 30 some years between these films and you know, with a, with a film series that started off with a little low budget action movie made in Australia that became kind of a cult item. So yeah, I don't expect strict continuity from the series at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. On this on this show, we track franchises, you know, from one installment to the other. A lot of them are played very fast and loose with continuity. We we started with the child's play uh, movies, which I feel like they make up the rules every movie. Yeah. They're like, nope, now he needs an amulet in order to transfer. And like, since when? This is like the fifth <laughs> movie or whatever. Right. Why does he now need to get an amulet to transfer? It's a whole it's a whole thing. But when it's when the movie is entertaining, when it takes its characters and its world seriously. 
you can kind of just look the other way and be like, okay, sure, movie. You need them to have to go from point A to point B to establish this mission. This is the MacGuffin. I will roll with you on that. But yeah, yeah to your to your point, we went from a tiny little movie to this film, which has a reported production budget of $150 million. And yet, and yet, the, you know, we've talked about the color palette and how that's obviously the first thing that smacks you across the face. Yeah. Once, once you know, you were, you were taken from that, from the black screen and his narration into the film, it's that like bright, like yellow orange of the sand and then the sky that, that, you know, it feels like, it feels like he has a, a, a limitless budget to work with for the first time uh, yeah. in his, you know, in this franchise, certainly. And yet I feel like it also still has so much of the same DNA of those movies. Do you agree? And, and if so, why? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, Mad Max was born from George Miller's imagination back in the seventies and whatever fueled that obviously fueled this one. So it's not like he was bowing to somebody else's ideas of what a Mad Max film should be or, or, or studios wishes like, Oh, this should be this. This is unquestionably a George Miller Mad Max film. And so that that DNA is there, you know, you couldn't even rip it from that film just because it, it's so ingrained and straight out of this guy's head. I, I believe the story goes as he was on a plane, he was on a flight and he, the, the story just came to him and he kind of dreamt it up from there and just had it all figured out in his head. And then they did the, you know, he sat down with his storyboard artist and came up with 3,500 storyboards <laughs> or something insane like that, you know, to figure out what this, what this movie was going to be. Yeah, it, it's, it is exactly what the film you should point to when you see a, a tiny indie director and people are like, see, that's a guy they should give $150 million to. And see what he does with it. This is this is exactly you show someone that first movie, and you'd be like, now imagine that only huge, only getting all the money, you know, at his disposal. All the and this and that's the amazing thing is that it it though that first movie, there's a lot about that where you can see why it would be a cult classic, yeah. Because there's so much involved in the world building. There's so much specificity to the language. It creates its own lingo in a lot of respects. You always have these gang members slash criminal nomad types on bikes or different, or, or in this case, like huge, huge vehicles, huge cars and trucks and tanks and stuff, you, you know, who are very kind of idiosyncratic and out there. And, you know, here you have the whole shiny and chrome and, they're, right. they're pasty white and, and, you know, you have, it's just some wild, crazy shit in this movie. Basically you have where they have the women being milked and they're just like collecting it. They have the war boys. There's the, the best example, the best and most popular example of the, of, from this film being the doof warrior who, like oh, I yeah. said, I, <laughs> my, my engagement with this film grows every time I watch it. But from the word go, I was like that guy, that guy yeah. rules. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's because I had never seen a Mad Max movie before this one. So I, if you had seen those other mm -hmm. films and then went into this, I think you could be like, all right, yeah, this feels like the world of Mad Max. But if you haven't seen any of those and you go straight to this, you're like, this looks cool. But what the hell is going on? Why are all these like 
there's a little person in this thing and, and like randomly there's everyone has like scars and boils and like yeah. all kinds of you know it's very striking visually starting with Immortan Joe played yeah. by Hugh Keys Byrne who played Toe Cutter in the original film so again right. very much the same spirit and I think he kills it in both of those roles he's so good as that character and here he's got that Bane like speaking of Tom Hardy that Bane-like apparatus on his face. What right. are your thoughts on Morton Joe and where he fits in the legacy of Mad Max villains? Oh, he, it, he's fantastic. I mean, you know, I know that that uh, with Thunderdome. So, so okay. Let me let me start again. You know, George Miller did Mad Max as an indie film, and then he got a bigger budget for The Road Warrior, and then you know. Uh, I don't remember if it was Warner's or not. I think it was still semi-independent, right? And then, mm-hmm. and then Warner's came in for for Thunderdome, but his producing partner actually died. I I think it was on a location scout for Thunderdome, and so that really affected him. And he's not given sole director credit on on that film. He split it with someone else, and I can't remember who that was. But Thunderdome was kind of a studio picture. And it, you know, it's, there's something a little off about it as far as the other movies go. And I think it's just because he was not in a full creative place when he made it, you know, he was mourning the the death of his, his partner and his friend. So yes, it's a Mad Max film, but there's something a little bit off about it, but this one feels like it's back full throttle. And so he's got, he, he goes back to Hugh Keysburns and from the first film to create this new character. And it's just like the baddest baddie of them all. You know, it's just like, again, like you said, it's, it's a Mad Max film with everything turned up to 12 to, to mm-hmm. turn up to 20. And I, Morton Joe is kind of, kind of like that. You know, he's the, He's the most awful of them all. And and he's got his friends, you know, the other bad guys that help him out that show up from Gas Town and and I forget who the other guy was that dies out in the in the in the swampy wastelands. Yeah, names are sort of elusive in these movies generally. Yeah, Unless you look at the credits and you're like, oh, that's what that guy's name was. I think somebody's name is Rictus at some point. I don't I don't know exactly oh, which yeah, one. Right. Yeah, that's I think he's the big I think he's a Morton Joe's the big guy, his son. Okay. Who's okay, the, yeah. The, yeah. Who uh Max ends up fighting. And um and and so yeah, it's 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 like that it's just like that. It's like everything is bigger this time. Everything is more intense this time, and that's that's how I see a Morton Joe. Like all the all the other bad guys were bad, but you know, Morton Joe is just like on. He's the bad guy on steroids. Yeah, yeah. It's I. I it's what's cool about this movie too, and I is that it's. My, George Miller has said that this is essentially an allegory. And it's pretty easy to see that this whole movie is really about the patriarchy. I mean, you have Immortan Joe as like everybody calls him dad. He's this all the male figures in this movie, except for Max, who's disinterested initially and Nux, who starts as a bad guy and then right. becomes an ally throughout the course of the story. All the male characters are, are on the opposing side and all the women are the heroes. And there's the the whole film really feels like it's about, you know, female empowerment. You have the wives who run away and 
and they they leave messages like our babies will not be warlords we are not things you have the the women who raised furiosa who herself was victimized sort of striking back against against her her abuser and all of that uh, what are your thoughts on how this movie marries those kinds of you know relevant themes to this insane action and and world building and all this this crazy post-apocalyptic stuff because it it really works here and i think whether you look at the the color palette like we said the oranges the yellows the blue at night the sandstorm and how red the sky gets so gorgeous whether you look at it from a visual standpoint as far as the storytelling is concerned or the effects or thematically and just the, the character arcs in this film i feel like it's easily one of the you know one of the most essential blockbusters of the last 10 20 years oh i i totally agree and it's or and it's organic it doesn't feel forced yes none of none of that stuff feels forced it it all feels relative to the story and it doesn't feel like it's trying to shove a message down exactly you know that's i think that's the great part about it all the characters (laughs) you may not get backstories but they're so well designed and unique and just imaginative you know all these all these even different side characters and things these people that show up and then get run over you know but they're they're all very unique and the the world building is insane in this film it's it's just again it's one of those movies where you watch and you're like how the hell did they make this you know how how did this you know who dreamt all this stuff up and and props to George and and his creative team for not settling you know for any mm-hmm. any less than in you know <laughs> whatever they did I don't even know what to call it it's just it's just <laughs> it, you know they're living up to the Mad Max name it's it's totally crazy but yeah. um it's all of a piece and and you're rooting for them. You know, you, you, the bad guys are the are are really awful, and they and they set that up right out the gate, and they're they're oppressive, and, and and that it sets the it sets the tone, it sets the sides, and then and then it goes from there. Um, and you know what was interesting this my this most recent watch was Nicholas Holt as Nux. What, the first time I saw the film, I thought he was slightly annoying, but I mm. really. You know, I thought, oh, he's just, you know, just going a little too over the top. But but this this viewing, I really got his character and I thought, okay, now now I see it. Well, I don't know what I missed the the last time, but but this time I get it and I get where he's coming from. And and it and he has a great he has a great redemptive arc himself. The the whole film is a lot of the whole film is about redemption. So many characters, you know, Max trying to redeem himself, Furiosa, obviously trying to redeem herself because because it's implied that she's been working in the system, you know, and and empowering this awful system. And now it's it's her time to 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 do something to get out of it and to, right. and to fight back. And uh, and then Nux as well. You know, Nux finally realizes the error of his ways and and is not drinking the Kool Aid anymore, and so he he joins the the fight and and you know, spoiler alert, you know, gives gives the sacrifice at the end to save the day. I think because we we do essentially have three leads, three main arcs, sort of running concurrently. 
I think it also feel, feels more balanced in that you have Max, obviously, as your go-to, as you, as you mentioned, sort of the eyes and our entry point into this world. Right. You have Furiosa as the new addition who essentially, again, to follow your lead spoiler, takes over the, the resources uh, that Immortan Joe had at his disposal at the end of this right. film. Right. And then Nux being sort of that, that the, the, you know, uh, the villain that, that sort of sees the error of his ways and turns, which I, you know, I, you get a balanced perspective on all sides of this conflict going on in this world. And I think that that's something that, you know, the other films don't give you as much of. They don't give you that much perspective on here's the different sides of, of this status quo. And here are how everyone is trying to prove themselves for Nux early on. He wants, just wants to, you know, he's like fangirls out when Immortan Joe looks at him <laughs> early in the film. And then, as you said, as you said, gives his life. He's like, no, this is wrong. What we're doing. I, you know, I see that now kind of thing. And he feels like, I think at some point feels like he has no recourse because they know he's with the, he's with Furiosa and Max. And so, yeah. you know, he, he, he kind of sees no way out and then sees his, you know, gets, he's treated with kindness by one of the wives and sort of, Yep. realizes that it kind of rediscovers his humanity in a way that's obviously very made, made very blatant by the fact that his face paint sort of literally like kind of fades away little by little as he goes along on this crazy adventure. And it's, it's, you know, this movie that's coming from this ultra, like, you know, violent, very masculine, whatever action franchise. And yet this movie is, is very tender. It's very heartfelt in a lot of ways. You get the several scenes with Furiosa, like obviously the big scene with her realizing that the green place is, has been basically washed away. And that, you know, that scream with her one her one good arm and her one severed arm in the sand. And it's, it's, you know, it's not, inaccurate to call this movie a feminist piece of work and i mean like in the true sense of the word not in like men suck kind of way like in everyone should be treated equally no one no one should have power over anyone else and at the end of this movie democracy sort of reigns and so i think it's it's you know you're dealing with a, a wasteland as as they mentioned multiple times in the movie and we've seen three other films set in that universe and yet there's that message of, of hope that goes throughout it. We have it, it ends on, and I totally spaced on this until I watched it this time. It ends on a, a bit of text that says, where must we go, we who wander this wasteland in search of our better selves? So it kind of leaves you, like it's this crazy action movie with, <laughs> with this guy with playing guitar and flames and that like amazing junkie XL music. But then you're like, huh. That's a good point. Let's make a better world. Like it, it has like a yeah. message to it, but it doesn't to you to your point, it doesn't feel ham-fisted. It's not, not pointing all. fingers at anyone per se. It's just like, hey, why don't we all look? When we all work together, we can destroy this terrible godlike, you know, figure who's taken over all the resources and because he's like basically uh, mad with power. I think right. that it's yeah, it has like it has something to say. It is I guess my point. And that George Miller had this vision, but he also had sort of a message to to underline it and i think that makes the film in addition to being such a thrill ride it makes it it makes it feel it has the substance to to match the style i guess is what i'm saying yes no i totally agree with that it's not superfluous it's not just another action movie you know and it it's it's one of those it's one of those films that's going to last you know as as entertainment 
because it's because it's so damn entertaining. You know, it's such a well-crafted, amazing action film. You know, it doesn't skimp on the action at all. In fact, it, it's almost it's almost all action. Uh, They're always on the road. It's a chase yeah, movie. Yeah, for sure. It, exactly. Right. And, uh, you know, in, in two parts, they go out and then they come back. And but because because it has so much to say, it 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 gives it, uh, you know, an extra weight, an extra air of importance. And that you don't usually find in big blockbuster action cinema. So, uh, you know, what's not to love? Right. And that's a subtext that wasn't really, not to that extent, present in the the previous three movies. They were, no. uh, would you agree? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those movies, again, when I first saw it, I was like, I don't know. They're just on the road. I don't know how I feel about this. And then the more I watch it, <laughs> the more I'm like, okay, I, I get it. I understand why this won six Oscars, why it. It was this huge phenomenon when it came out. And, and even then, even when I was on the beginning of my Mad Max learning curve, I, I was in awe at what he was able to accomplish on screen. And not only that, that it's largely, I think it's between 80 and 90% practical effects. The CG is mostly the landscape stuff, removing like the stunt rigging when they have people, you know, on wires and stuff. And then obviously Furiosa's left arm, like that, that's the vast majority of CG. There were real cars. There were really people on poles going back and forth and, and all that stuff. So it's not, you know, it, because of that, it's going to age beautifully 20, yes. 30 years from now when people watch this, they'd be like, oh, wow, it looks like it was made yesterday. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He, he got circus performers for the, for the cat poles because I watched, I watched one of the behind the scenes features on the disc and, um, they just, I guess, initially they tried to do it with special effects, and it just he said it didn't, you know, it wasn't going to fly. It, it, it's not right. going to work, and so they went and found circus performers that did a similar thing, and then they created the rig, the rigging, and then and worked out all the details and were practicing it all the time. And Tom Hardy said he was scared to death, but he got up there and he did it, and you know that 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 sequence in it itself i mean there's so many jaw dropping things in this movie yeah and and then it and it just keeps building and building and building and and as you're watching it i remember watching it the first time and i'm like how are they going to top this and they just keep doing it it's you know it's it's amazing it really yeah that sandstorm is like maybe what 30 40 minutes like 40 minutes into the movie really and then you're like okay that must be the big the big set piece, and you're like, oh wait, no, there's <laughs> this isn't even the halfway point of the movie. Holy right. crap! And and you know, it, it was not an easy shoot. <laughs> Obviously, no. you said it with Hardy, Hardy, Miller, and Theron. Not they did not. There a lot of conflict on the set. I mean, they're yeah. outside and they're in the heat, and they're they're dealing with this these crazy stunts and long ass hours and very physical performances for both of them. So I mean, I. Uh, I, I, you know, I read something that Tom Hardy afterwards apologized to George Miller because he's like, I don't think he understood how how different this was going to feel. I think he's just like, I'm making this action movie. It's another Mad Max, whatever. And then yeah. he sees it like, oh, wow, no, <laughs> I didn't realize it was going to look like this. And this was going to be such a breath of fresh air. that, you know, I, I it was it made I would say it single handedly kind of gave Charlie Theron a second chance at being an action star. 
because she tried 10 years earlier in that Aeon Flux movie that nobody saw and that everybody, you know, I haven't even seen it. I'm a big Charlie Theron fan. But then after this, exactly. After this, she's in the Fast and Furious movies. She did Atomic Blonde. She did The Old Guard. Uh, Most of those are getting more sequels. So it's, it's, it it really, uh, you know, established that, you know, obviously she's a, Oscar-winning dramatic actor. We know she can do comedy. We know she can do all these different genres. This made her a credible action star where a lot of people now consider her kind of the female counterpart to Keanu in a way because she does yeah. do her a lot of her own physical, uh, a lot of her own stunts and, and, it, and delivers a really strong, mostly wordless dramatic performance in this movie at the same time. Yes. Uh, that, see, that's the, that's the other thing about it. You need that caliber of actors to carry all this, even in the, to cut through the insanity of what's happening around them and, and her and Tom Hardy, I mean, all the, all the performers are great, but you know, as the, as the leads, as the anchors, you can see it, you can see the pain on their face. You can see there's a lot of regret behind those eyes and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and you buy it, why they are, why they're doing what they're doing. You know, it's, they're able to sell it and to, to work through the, the insanity of the world that they live in. And and the way the camera captures all the action, you're never wondering wh- exactly what's going on. You're never confused. John Seale's cinematography, this is another thing I read. He was always very, he was instructed to keep like whatever the central figure in the frame is, keep that person in the center. Let other people kind of be off to the edges or whatever. And it, it makes you feel like you're in the moment with them. But then also because the camera is steady and focused on his particular character, whether it's Furiosa or Max or one of the wives or Nux or whatever, it's right. when they, when the fast editing happens, you're never just like getting whiplash. Wait a minute, where am I? What's happening? As a lot of action movies you know, like you obviously on film Twitter that every once in a while that that fence jump sequence from like Taken Three comes up with is like thirty cuts, <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, it's not that. It's just a basic move too. It's like why does it? <laughs> and you see some movies in Hollywood that that get like combat sequences right. You know, the John Wick movies probably again go back to Keanu kind of being one of the primary examples of like this is how you film an action scene. You right. need to make sure you know what's happening. You know your surroundings. What is what? Where they are in the space. Otherwise, it might as it's just gonna it's just gonna be disorienting for the viewer, and you're not gonna really appreciate the stunt work and the effects and everything that's happening. And then this movie really gets that. So that yeah. what all the effort that Theron and Hardy put into those performances comes across on the screen. Yep. And and I was, and speaking of Charlize Theron and Atomic Blonde. I would love another one of those. That was great. I really enjoyed that movie. So, and and again, a great action, great action directing in that film. It was one of the guys that did John Wick, so. The yeah. Original John exactly. Wick, so, but yeah, that's putting the putting those characters center in the frame. That's the that's the only way to do it, especially in this film with the, because each frame of the of the picture is so dense with things happening. And and stuff flying around, and you know, characters coming, flying out of nowhere, jumping on things. The guys, the guys, you know, at the at the beginning, the war boy that gets shot, he gets shot with the arrows, and then yeah, and he grabs the two, you know, whatever the hell they are with the with the explosives on it, and jumps on the car. Oh my god, man! <laughs> amazing, amazing, yes, amazing. 
all, all that being said, obviously Miller is now moving to the Furiosa prequel, like we mentioned, with Anya Taylor-Joy, not Charlize Theron, it sounds like, in any capacity. I, I keep hoping that it's going to be like Charlize Theron is, is there as a framing device kind of thing, but I don't know if that's going to happen. What are your, what are your thoughts slash hopes slash expectations for that movie? Obviously, we'll, I would imagine it's going to look incredible because it's still George Miller behind the camera but i guess narratively we're losing you know the the actor who who really made everyone love furiosa and made her the breakout character of this film where where do you want to see that go or how does that play out in your head like i said man I, it, it, it to me it doesn't sound very interesting on paper but then again you know if if you would have told me before i saw the trailer i was i was interested in a mad max sequel but then it wasn't mel and you know Mel had his his issues over the years, but still, right. you kind of as a as a film fan, you kind of want to see some sort of you know character continuity if he's still acting. Oh, why can't it be Mel? But but then George George has he's got the film in his head, and if he's got it in his head, he'll figure out a way to get it up on the screen. And so I'm just gonna trust in his vision. Because he got us this far, I really don't know what to expect with that. You know, kind of it's it's weird to, especially in this series of films, to think about going back at all because each film has kind of moved forward in its own way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this this will be the first time it's kind of backtracking. So that in itself, I, I guess, is an interesting concept. You know, there must be a story there that he wants to tell bad enough to actually take the time to do this. So I'm curious. We'll see, you know, I wonder if it's going to be because in the original Mad Max, it's sort of a, a, it's sort of a a lawless world to an extent, but it's not a, it's not quite the wasteland that it is in the latter movie. So I wonder where Furiosa, because Anya Taylor-Joy is like, I think early twenties and Charlize Theron is, in her forties. So I don't know, like, where does that fit on the timeline as far as when things really went so bad, we get that brief kind of history lesson of there were the oil wars and then the water wars and humanity turned against itself, that kind of thing. Like where does Furiosa's story fit in with all of that? The, the big picture of things, I think maybe, maybe he's going to get into how that all sort of kicked off and that's, he's using Furiosa as a vessel to do that. That's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah, it could be, although, you know, she did come from the green place. But then then right. again, you know, is he going back that far? Because like you said, Anya Taylor-Joy is in her 20s. So we're going to be catching up there. Right. Um, you know, and she we, she mentions she was taken seven, seven thousand days she's been gone or yeah. whatever, which right, is like right, 20 right. years or so. So I would imagine that would be, it would be part of the the story would be her getting taken by Joe or someone of similar uh, villainy. Yeah. And her, and her mother, I guess her mother died because they didn't know mm-hmm. about that. The, on the third day, I think she says like yeah. on the third, third, three days after they're, they're, you know, they're taken or whatever. Yeah. I'm very, I agree with you. I, I, in George Miller, we trust but I'm yeah. very not, I'm not skeptical. I'm just like, Hmm, what is that going to look like? Again, yeah. I don't think anyone who saw Thunderdome when it came out 30 years ago or grew up with it would have expected this. So 
how much further is he going to innovate it? I, I, I don't know, but I'm definitely interested to find out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I again, I never would have thought, you know, after Thunderdome, even after, even after Road Warrior, because in the series of films, you know, Road for the long time, Road Warrior was considered the the pinnacle, you know, and and Thunderdome was a bit of a letdown, I guess. Um, but then, you know, we didn't know what to expect from that. We definitely didn't expect this. You know, we didn't. Right. We definitely didn't expect what Fury Road was. But I think I think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised. And it made a lot of best, you know, a year-end best of lists that 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 year that it came out. Absolutely, I remember watching. You know, it was nominated for best picture. Yeah, at the Academy Awards, a Mad Max movie, right? By one of the only, I think one of the only, from what I saw, one of the only sequels to be nominated for best picture without having the previous entries nominated. And the other one was Toy Story three, which was a few years before this. And wow. Nobody, if for an action, there are certain genres that the Academy snubs their nose at. Usually okay. action, usually like sci-fi, unless it's like a prestige thing like Dune or, you know, horror, things like that. Like it's very hard for genre fair to kind of make its way into the awards conversation. But for this to get nominated for Best Picture, to win six Oscars... I, there was a certain point when I was when I was watching the the ceremony that year, where I was like, damn, is this going to go all the way? Like, is it, is, is, was he going to get like, I almost for a second was thought he was going to maybe get director. And, and I feel like it probably almost happened. Honestly. Do you, uh, do you remember who won that year? I feel like that was the Revenant year, maybe. So was it in your perhaps? Oh, okay. It might've been, I think he got back to backs for Birdman and, and Revenant. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, I feel like history, it's going to be one of those, things when people go back and be like, wait, George Miller didn't win for Mad Max Fury Road? Right. Um, Because the Oscars have a history of giving awards to the wrong people or giving it to people years later. And they're like, all right, we're sorry, Al Pacino, for all those movies you were nominated for. Here's your Oscar for Sense of a Woman. You know, they they have a tendency to do that kind of thing much later. So maybe Furiosa will get him his director statue. I have no idea. (laughs) Just ask Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Exactly. You know, all this is sort of a good segue. So what do you think, David, what would you say is the, the legacy of the Mad Max franchise? What does it contribute to cinema, the action genre? What is, what is its legacy? It, I, it's just one of the most unique franchises. Yeah. You know, it started off as a, you know, this post-apocalyptic drive-in, you know, low-budget drive-in movie made, made by a, a former doctor that decided he, you know, he wanted to make movies and uh, which I think also gives these films a unique perspective and, and to become such a, you know, I don't, well, to build itself into create, you know, into having a, excuse me, a third sequel, you know, the, the fourth film in the franchise come down the line and be, be so impactful as it was. It's just really interesting to me just because there's there there's no other series quite like it that that you know that's that's that, that started off as kind of a cult thing but then blew up so mainstream um 30 years later you know am i am i forgetting one i don't think so not like this i not not very many franchises come back to this 
level of uh, acclaim, especially after right. 30 years, especially in the fourth installment where the third, well, the three previous ones, you know, those are well-liked movies, but those are yeah. generally considered, like you said, kind of cult classic, like, right. you know, those kinds of films. They're not, they're not mainstream Oscar, Oscar bait, you know, $150 right. million dollar right. movies. So to right. come back around and have this be his, his sort of return to that genre so far, so much later and bang out a movie like this, I think I, in his seventies, yeah. that's insane. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, Road Warrior was, again, Road Warrior was the go-to, you know, that was the one that people yeah. always kind of talked about because it was this, you know, it was, a, it was a sequel that we found out later, even though it has that little prologue that I remember first watching and thinking, what the hell is this? What are they talking about? And then later on finding, oh, there was another movie. Okay, I get it. But um, but when people talked about Mad Max, they talked about Road Warrior. That was the one that yeah. always came up in the conversation. But now it's like it's it's Fury Road, you know, unquestionably. It's it's it, you know, it it set the bar so high for studio action filmmaking that you know, a lot of filmmakers action filmmakers aren't going to be able to touch it. You know, it, it, it's just, it's a singular behemoth in, in the, in the genre. And it's just so well done and well made that it's some, it has cemented its place in, in film history. Absolutely. And, you know, just putting it in context, coming out the same year as two other much later sequels, two series that started in the 70s, which came out the same year, Creed and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Those two, (laughs) very much, you know, both big hits, both well-liked generally, but very much sort of being, you know, taking that same blueprint of the original film and like, okay, how do we do that? Different characters pushing the story forward, new generation, blah, 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 but basically kind of make like 40% the same movie in a different skin. This movie does not feel like the original Mad Max or the Road Warrior updated. It feels like completely its own thing, yet still in line with the themes and the the visuals to an extent and the world building from those other films. I think it's, it's, yeah, yeah, it's very remarkable in that way. Normally, normally this would be the point where I would ask if this delivers on its predecessor, if it's, since this is a, so a road themed podcast, since if this is a smooth ride or a wrong turn. And I think, it's beyond the smooth ride. This is like hitting the nitrous at this yeah, point. In, yeah, it's a franchise. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. It's. I mean, it, you know, like as I said before, it, three. You know, Beyond Thunderdome fell off, and and Road Warrior is the one everybody goes to, and and so for this one to come back and just kind of like reinvigorate it, and you know, and and set the set the the bar so high you know it's my favorite of the series i i like the other ones they're they're cool i wasn't always i wasn't a huge mad max fan but you know they were fun to watch but this one is just you know i i can go back to this one more often than any of the others right and because it's because it is because the story is very 
you know, it's very not simple because, but you know, not, I don't mean that in a negative way. The story no, is right, right, straightforward. Right, right. It's, it's, it's not particular. It's not, yeah. It's not plot driven per se. Yes. It, it, this is like a, like you put on and just get it absorbed. This is a movie. If it wasn't so engrossing that because it's so beautiful, you could put on and just like have it in your background. Like it's a painting. But the thing <laughs> right. is you would just get so absorbed into watching it that you, you wouldn't serve that purpose. Because there are certain movies when I'm working on something or I'm uh, work going writing or getting doing research for an episode or whatever that I'll just put on in the background and be like, ah, I'll put that on and it'll kind of look up every once in a while. But if it's a movie's too good or too, <laughs> too uh, distinctive, like I, 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 it's not going to happen. I, I, yeah. I know I have to. There's a certain type of film you need for that, which is good but not too good. Like you know, there's a thin line there, and this definitely does not fit that mold. So you already spoiled. I was going to ask about your your ranking. You already spoiled oh. the first one. Do you want to? Which is totally fine. Do you? I kind of assumed that obviously from this conversation. Where would what would you? How would you rank the the full four? You know, I guess working your way down from number one. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Fury Road first and Road Warrior second and the Mad Max for, or third and then Thunderdome fourth. But like I said, I haven't seen Thunderdome in a long, long time. So viewing it, it, it I, I'm looking, I'm, I want to show it to my son. I want to watch the, you know, because he's seen two of them. So I want to watch the other two with yeah. him. And, you know, just to, just to be a completist. So I'm, I'm curious to see, looking at it now, 30 some years later, how I'm going to see it as opposed to when I watched it as a kid, just because there are so many films that I have a completely dis- different perspective on now, you know, that comes with age and time, things like that. So, so I'm looking forward to that, to, to revisiting it again. And maybe the ranking will change. I don't know. Hard to maybe. say, but. But I don't know I, if it, I don't know if it will go above Fury Road at this point. No, no, no. I feel like it's a it's a it's a hard bar to clear. Yeah, I, I sincerely doubt that anything is going to knock Fury Road out of the top spot just because it's just it's just mind blowing cinema that they were they were able to do what they did, get it on the get it on the screen, and make it uh, coherent. You know, and, and that you you always know what's going on and what's happening. It's, it's, it's just really a high water, high water mark, you know, for me and for action cinema too. You know, I, I would put it as one of the, one of the best action pictures ever. Yeah, totally. I, for people listening to this road warrior and fury road are on HBO max. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, I need to catch up too. It's on HBO max available to stream again. This episode sponsored by Tubi and HBO Max, I guess. <laughs> Not intentionally, but it's just, you know, it's always nice to let the listeners know if, where they can find some of these things. Definitely. So <laughs> speaking of which, David, thank you so much for coming on to Franchise Detours. I'm glad we got you on both of my shows now. Can you let people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, sure. You can find me on Instagram at David C. Snyder, all lowercase, and also The Davy J Show. If you want to try to find me on there, as well, that's a, usually that's just mostly my kids uh, with my record, my record collection. But uh, yeah, and I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter too. I don't remember what my Twitter handle is. The, <laughs> I think it's the Impossibles. I think I, uh, I am. That sounds right. You'll yeah. be when I when this episode goes up, you'll be tagged probably on okay. that Twitter yeah, account. Yeah. So people will be able to find it. You find the go to at Crooked Table on on Twitter, and you'll find you'll find this episode with with David's Twitter handle linked into it. 
Yeah. Uh, but yes, thank I'm you so much for, for coming on. This was oh, a blast. Thank you, man. Yeah. Anytime. We'll definitely get you back on. I have a, I have a, a bunch of franchises that I want to take a look at in, later on in 2022. So I'll, nice. I'll have to shoot you a message and be like, any of these look good and see if we can, we can squeeze you into another one down the line. All right. Sounds like a plan, man. Great. Thanks, David. Thanks, Robert. Big thanks to David Snyder for coming on to discuss Mad Max Fury Road from 2015. Uh, this is normally where I'd start wrapping up, but this is, as you know, the final episode of the Mad Max mega series. So it's time to go back through all four guests, their rankings, and then tabulate this this guy, this sucker and see uh, who who's the champion of the wasteland once and for all. Uh, if, as you know, if you haven't listened to this before. The way this works is that I'll assign points to every ranking. So if someone rated it first place, second place, third place, you get that corresponding number. So at the end, the film with the fewest amount of points actually wins. So it's kind of reverse order. Uh, So let's review the first episode on Mad Max. I had Jackson Smith from Nightfall Entertainment come on and discuss that 1979 film with me. He ranked uh, Fury Road number one, followed by the original Mad Max, Beyond Thunderdome, and finally, The Road Warrior, which was, uh, as he admitted, I think, on the episode, kind of a controversial take, uh, especially since Sarah Michelle Fetters, who came on to discuss The Road Warrior, ranked that film first, followed by Fury Road, followed by the original Mad Max, followed by Beyond Thunderdome, and last. Uh, Megan Kearns, I know, this is very, like, chain, kind of chain-linked, these, uh, these rankings, Megan Kearns had uh, Fury Road first, then Beyond Thunderdome. So had that much more closer to the top. That was, of course, the film she and I discussed, that 1985 release, followed by The Road Warrior, and then finally the original Mad Max. And then, as you just heard, David Snyder also had Fury Road at number one, followed by The Road Warrior, followed by the original Mad Max, followed by Beyond Thunderdome. So in fourth place, we had Beyond Thunderdome, as Megan and I got into a really interesting sort of underrated film, it's clearly the dark horse of this franchise. Uh, I kind of liken it to the Child's Play 3, if you listen to our mega series on the Chucky movies, a, a movie that I think most people sort of dismiss. Again, a third chapter. A lot of people sort of dismiss as less than some of its predecessors for not being quite as groundbreaking, etc. But I think Megan and I covered exactly why that movie is so worthy of your time. Tina Turner has something to do with it, but a lot of it, it's sort of an integral uh, stepping stone between the road warrior and fury road. In third place, we had the original Mad Max very close one point away. Obviously the movie that started it all started at all. You can hear in that episode, how enthused I am to say the name toe cutter over and over again. Uh, Jackson Smith and I discussed exactly why that movie is such a, a groundbreaking piece of os, uh, exploitation. That's a hard word to say. Um, and it was, it was, a it was fun for me to go back and see how different the original film was and where we end up with, uh, the road warrior beyond Thunderdome and Fury road, which is weirdly sort of a 180 from the original film, but also very in keeping with, with its tone, George Miller, master of his domain. Uh, in second place, we had the road warrior again, only a couple of places away from the original Mad Max. This was a very close race. Uh, we've talked about the road warrior and how that I mentioned, I think on the fury road or on the road warrior episode, I mentioned specifically how it feels like the chapter that, uh, fury road gleans the most inspiration from. You can see George Miller's kind of going back to what worked 
in that film, considering it is or was at least until Fury Road, which we were about to get to, uh, it was the fan favorite. It was the, the kind of the undisputed landmark of cinema for this franchise until of course number one fury road uh reigns now as the the pinnacle of this franchise and as we've gotten into considering that we had a film in 79 a film in 81 a film in 85 three decades of nomad max movies and then a new lead actor rebooting sort of revisiting as miller said uh the franchise with a much updated look, a way inflated budget, uh, an Oscar winning leading lady, essentially almost, if not stealing, definitely sharing the spotlight with Tom Hardy. Uh, I, it's, it's feels like a miracle of cinema. It feels like it happened against all odds. And it's, as I said in the episode film that has continually grown on me and that I wasn't gobsmacked over the first time I saw it because I had no idea what to expect from a Mad Max movie. And it was so outside of my comfort zone in 2015, but uh, obviously one of the most important films of the past decade, as far as blockbuster cinema, as far as action cinema, things like that definitely sort of shaped the genre. So I want to give, uh, give a congratulations to Mad Max Fury Road for topping this ranking for our, from our guests. And of, of course, a big thanks to Jackson Smith, Sarah Michelle Fetters, Megan Kearns, and David Snyder for coming on to talk about the Mad Max films with me. Uh, it really fun for me to... This is the first of these mega series for Franchise Detours that I'm basically experiencing sort of in real time with the episode. So... Uh, they were recorded a little bit out of order, but I saw all the films in order, sort of in preparation for this uh, for this series. So it was fun to to do that. The Child's Play and the Evil Dead movies, I was intimately familiar with. I'd watched several times uh, before recording this episode. So these episodes, so having Mad Max uh, was was a fun uh, fun expansion of my own cinematic education. So thanks to all four guests for coming on to discuss that. Starting next episode, obviously, the posting for Franchise Detours has been all over the map. Uh, If you're listening to this soon after it was posted, you'll see that Fury Road, the um, Fury Road Beyond Thunderdome and the Road Warrior, reverse order there, uh, have all been posted pretty much simultaneously. And I'm planning on getting to a more regular schedule going forward. I've already recorded the first of the next mega series. I have the other two scheduled as of this recording. By the time, uh, by the time you're listening to this, perhaps those are done. Perhaps they're in the feed. Go check it out. And if you're listening to this before that happens, uh, on April 8th, we will be starting the Spider-Man mega series. This is just the Sam Raimi trilogy. Not interested in delving into the MCU. And I don't know. I have a feeling we might, we might have a little more material to work with if we ever do go back and do the amazing Spider-Man films. So definitely just doing Spider-Man from 2002, Spider-Man two from 2004 and Spider-Man three from 2007. All of those episodes are either, like I said, recorded or in the works. So stay tuned for that. That'll be posting April 8th, April, I think it's 22nd. And I believe it's May 6th, which is not so coincidentally the, uh, the, Day that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, also directed by Sam Raimi, hits theaters. So stay on to this feed for all the Spider-Man goodness. Uh, the first episode on April 8th, I'm joined by the Lady Wan of Screen Run. And we we got into a lot of spider thoughts. So stick around for that. It's, it was a lot of fun. I'm really excited to look into these movies, films that I watched in you know when they hit theaters, totally unlike Mad Max, 
big pinnacle films of the 2000s for me. So stick around for all of that. But I want to know, this was Mad Max. This was the mega series. What did you think of this mega series? What could we do better? What did you like? What did you not like? What do you want to hear us cover in the future? I'm open to all your thoughts. I'm literally a click away. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, same handle on Instagram, via email robert at crookedtable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Next time you check out this feed, we will be swinging through the streets of New York, baby. Uh, so stick around for the Spider-Man mega series coming up next. Until then, stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. <laughs>